It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Who they think you're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We are to that point in the offseason where there is a day with no news, no new news about the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals.com has an interview with recently signed Winston Rose. And Joe, did you know that he got a two-year deal? I did not know he got a two-year deal. Thank you for That's our news for today. There you go. Uh, I almost called him Jameis Winston. Winston Rose the CFL interception leader for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the 2019 CFL season, coming down south to join the Cincinnati Bengals. We talked about Rose yesterday, said to have great ball skills. I think Coach Minich on Twitter also has a highlight reel of all of those those interceptions. But check that out. Check out Bengals.com for an interview with Marissa Contepelli and footage of him signing his deal. And two-year deal for a guy out of the CFL. So that, I guess, is some commitment. Winston Rose likely to be one of the cornerbacks on the Bengals roster in the 2020 season. And that is a bit bigger news than I thought it was yesterday when we heard about this signing. I thought it was going to be, you know, one of those futures kind of deals that we saw for Boehringer and Demarcus Lodge. But instead, he has some guaranteed money in there, I imagine. Well, I would imagine, too, I can't believe the Bengals were the only ones interested. So giving him two years and a little bit of money obviously sways that a little bit. Uh, I think uh, Paul Denner Jr. had a a little bit on not only Tony Brown, but uh, Winston Rose also, because 
just I think the overall feeling of for dinner was that the back half of that cornerback room changing and them adding two guys basically in the same day uh, may be a sign that uh, they want to overhaul that room. Yeah, and it was actually earlier in the week, about five days ago, that the CFL people that write about the CFL, I don't know who these people are, but there are people that cover the CFL, including sure. one of our followers. He's a CFL guy, does does CFL coverage. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers released Winston Rose in order for him to pursue NFL opportunities. So it was hmm. something that he asked for. He worked out for the Bengals, Chargers, and Philadelphia Eagles, according to 3downnation.com. And if you didn't know, CFL only has three downs instead of four. So that's the namesake for this blog. That makes sense. Three down nation. Great. So is there a four down nation somewhere covering NFL? No. Why not five downs? That would be what? Like British football? Got to make it easier. You need 20 <laughs> I just yards, offended though. all of our British fans. No running, five downs, you need 20 yards for a first down. Nine players on the field, 20, no, NFL blitz rolls, 30 yards for a first oh, down. Oh, NFL blitz. Yeah. That's good, good memories. You know what the best play in NFL blitz was? Uh, to hit the guy after the play. Near zone, the best Oh, you actually play. know. I, I ran near zone, my, my friends and I played Nintendo 64 NFL Blitz 2000 for a while, and they stopped playing with me because nobody... You cheated. No, I just I played near zone. And they, right. they would always go with the man coverage and just blitz the guy and try to get the free sack. But when I, when I went near zone, they could not complete a pass, and they couldn't run on it either. It's such a good play. Anyway, what do we have for the people today, Joe? We're going to do the end of the season awards because, well, it's the end of the season, but... It's also the end of the year since we're recording on New Year's Eve here. You may be listening to this then on New Year's Day. So we're going to look back at 2019, give out some awards for Bengals players and coaches and games and moments. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we have many categories of awards to give out today. We've got game of the year. We've got play of the year. We've got signing of the year, which may be a free agent. It may be a re-signing. It may be Winston Rose. Probably not. We've got coach of the year. We've got least valuable player, comeback player of the year, rookie of the year, defensive offensive player of the year, and the MVP of the team. Joe, let's get started. Game of the year. What's your pick? I'm going with the Dolphins game, and for many reasons. It was exciting. It was fun. There was a lot of big plays, big moments, and ultimately it gave uh, me the prize I wanted ever since about week four to week six, I think, which was the first overall pick, and potentially LSU's Joe Burrow. Yeah, I think I agree that that is a totally fine and respectable selection, and it was one of my finalists for this choice. It was a very exciting game. The Bengals did something that hasn't happened very often, if ever before, in NFL history in that game. 
that is the game that is the source of my play of the year. Spoiler alert. But for me, the game of the year came down to that game, the Browns game, because going out on a high note for Andy Dalton, for all these guys that really had a tough year, right? This is Mm -hmm. hard for any franchise to only win two games. The Bengals haven't done that for, for a very long time. So the Browns game was one, but the the one that I picked was the Seattle game because that game was close. We -hmm. got to see some things that we hadn't seen in the preseason. That was when we had a little bit of hope for the passing offense in particular. They honestly could have easily won that game. They lost by one point. Randy Bullock missed a field goal. There are a lot of reasons to think that that game could have been won. Season may have changed, right? If yeah. they win that game, who knows? I maybe they end up going one in seven in the first half, maybe. and that's just their only one. But I, I kind of doubt it. You know, I think sometimes winning can be a bit contagious and give you that inspiration you need, uh, especially if you drop a couple right after. Next thing you know, they're zero and three. Maybe it's different. And I, the only other game I think would be nominated would be their first win of the year, the New yeah. York Jets. They handled them. It was a quiet handle that at one o'clock and no one watched it, but they did their business and had a pretty complete game that week. Yeah. I mean, that's not in the top three for me. I I knew that that would be the argument, right? Is the other win. But for me, that was just kind of a blip. It was like a, this is a weird game. The Jets sure are bad. Besides making sure you don't go winless. Yeah. That's the value in that game. Obviously. Next category, play of the year. What do you got? For me, the play of the year, as I mentioned, comes from Joe's game of the year. At the end of regulation in Miami, Andy Dalton drops back around the 30-yard line, finds Tyler Eifert running a vertical in space between four Miami defenders, puts a ball on a rope, lets Tyler Eifert box out, high point the ball, touchdown, you need a two-point conversion then to go to overtime. They get the two-point conversion. That, I mean, in any other season... Just mm-hmm. imagine the excitement, the recovery of the onside kick, the touchdown pass, the two-point conversion, just that sequence of plays in any other season would easily be the most exciting part of a right. Bengals football season. Right. If this was a season where they get to the playoffs, we're going to see at the end of the year a play of the year or a sequence of the year or something. It's going to be mentioned in, on some award show or some highlight reel, uh, but it wasn't. And I, what I remember fondly of that play was thinking – how Miami had everyone in the end zone. And as everyone's running down the field for Cincinnati, I'm like, no, just dump it to Geo or something. Just let him run and, and, you know, just do it that way. Dump it to John Ross or or something like that. So uh, my play of the game also, or my play of the year also comes from that game and it comes in overtime. And I, at that point, the Bengals uh, were going back and forth with the dolphins and Kevin Huber gets up and he's had a great year and he shanks a punt and gives the Dolphins really the opportunity to have a short field to kick that field goal to end that game. Yeah, you went with the other the other angle there. Yeah. But, you know, I had the same reaction when I saw the Dolphins lined up along the end zone and the Bengals just sent everyone deep. I was like, okay, great. This is the end of the game. This is a 0% play against that right. coverage when you run five verticals. There's just no way. And then, and, and, and then they, they did the .01%, I guess. And the hard part about that, even my play and your play, is like the oh, of relief, happiness, weird roller coaster of feelings as these things are happening. Oh, they're sending everyone in the end zone. This is never going to work. Oh, good. Oh, he caught it. What? Yeah, a lot of cognitive dissonance in that Miami game. Our next category is the signing of the year. And this one is a true struggle. 
when you think about the candidates? I'm going to put B.W. Webb up there. And I'm going to do that because of the injuries they had at corner. Uh, He had to play a lot. Right off the bat, Dark Wesnard's on the pup list. Draker Patrick ends up on an IR. Darius Phillips ends up on an IR for some point. And really, so does William Jackson, even though it's the end of the year. But he he had a couple injuries this year. Uh, But B.W. Webb, for all his playing time, was not very good. Uh, If he was really good and if it was a really good signing, he may have... Uh, maybe save this defense a little bit more than really bottom of the pack they ended up being for the year. So B.W. Webb's my signing of the year because he helped the tank get to number one. You can't. Okay, so I didn't do any of my choices for any of these categories based on helping the tank. All of mine are. So I I didn't tell you this before. So all of my suggestions here are going to be on the opposite perspective. Well, so of you're season. still wrong. So the best signing to help the tank was Bobby Hart debatably uh the the signing of the year for me is john miller he's the only player that came in and actually improved them at any position even though he battled injuries and and bw webb uh, the reason that i think that that's not the signing of the year and i'm going to argue with you on this one is because dark Denard was probably ready in week one or week Mm. two you think if they didn't have webb they would have said you know what we won't pup uh, yeah, Denard, and we'll, you know, even if it's week one or week two, we'll yeah. get them out there. And that's reason number one. Reason number two is they have Devontae Harris on the roster, and they could they would have kept him. Mm. If but they, they had... didn't have to keep Tony McRae. No, but but if they don't have BW Webb, then they just keep both. Sure. I, that's actually a pretty good point. Did you see the numbers I posted today from PFF on uh, slot coverage for Denard? He's number one in every single category. If he plays more than eight games this year, he's probably a Pro Bowl player. He was very good when he came back. The defense was noticeably different. That also coincided with some changes on the defensive side of the ball when things started to coalesce a little bit. Preston Brown was released. And again, I don't want to blame Preston Brown for this. I think that was mostly coincidental, but it doesn't look good for Preston Brown in retrospect that the defense got a lot better after he was released. And the offense got more efficient. And remember, that was when someone brought this up today to me on Twitter. And I'm like, how come we haven't talked about this or thought about this? But they said, did the benching of Andy Dalton spark the team? And I'm like, whoa, actually, maybe it did. You know, maybe these guys started playing a a little bit harder, a little more focused. And said, you know, if Andy Dalton could get benched, we all could get benched. Dalton and Preston Brown released and benched at the same time. I think it was bringing Dalton back. That lit the fire under them. I think that a lot of but players... the defense was good before Dalton came back. Yeah, but that I think that that's I think that's unrelated to Andy Dalton. I think that's related to the coaches getting together and actually agreeing on things. Right? That's what sure. we yep. have heard about. There were things that changed on the defensive side of the ball after the bye week. Yep. But benching Andy Dalton after the bye week, I think sapped energy. I think that a lot on of the veterans. I think, well, even the defense, Carlos Dunlap didn't like that. He, he was playing much better after the bye week. So maybe it inspired him in that sense of, right, I'm, I'm going to show that I still belong here. Yeah. But generally speaking, it was bringing back Dalton when things started to sort of, you know, they hadn't scored more than 20 points in a game, it felt like, all year until they bring Dalton back. And then that, they score points a couple times. So you didn't say who your signing was. Yeah, I did. I said it was John Miller because he was the only player that came in and actually improved oh, okay. a position. So next uh, category is coach of the year. Well, hold on real quick. What were the other candidates for signing of the year, right? Like you could talk about Trey Hopkins extension. That's technically a signing that happened during the year. Sure. I guess that, yeah, you probably could have said that. And I, you know, I didn't even, I should have mentioned, I'm going to write his name down right now for later for comeback player of the year, even though it's kind of a weird category for him, but I think I can make the case. All right. 
All right, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, coach of the year. Yeah, coach of the year. What do you got? I had a really hard time with this one. Joe told me about all the categories before we started recording. He was prepared, and I'm looking at the list of coaches on Bengals.com thinking, man, who who did something that made me think this is a coach that deserves a coach of the year award? And you could say Jim Turner. You couldn't say it's Jim Turner, uh, contrary to what Joe just whispered into his hand. You could say it's Zach Taylor because of the way he kept the locker room together, but plenty of you want to see Zach Taylor fired. And there's an argument for that. It's not happening. You could say, and I think what I'm going to say is Brian Callahan, because every time Brian Callahan talked to the media, the things he said aligned with the things I thought outside of some things that he had to say for coach speak reasons. I think that Callahan gets it. I think that he was a big part and this is speculative, of, of helping to get the ship turned around in the second half. I do think that you do have to credit Jim Turner a little mm-hmm. bit for helping to get the run game going in the second half of the season because the run game was much better after they made those significant changes after the bye week. And I think that all the cases you can make for any of the coaches of the year come from performances after the bye week. So, Joe, who'd you pick? Yes. I, well, I, if I was on the same mindset as you, I would have said the running backs coach because if we look yeah. at Mixon – he started breaking tackles, not only for the first time this year, for the first time in his career, really. Yeah. He's never been a high tackle break guy. Uh, so what he did with this performance, with this O-line, with this running game yeah. is extremely impressive to finally get him in that phase. Uh, but I'm and not... That is Jamal Singleton. Thank you, Jamal Singleton. But I'm not looking that way. I'm looking at Luana Ramo, And I'm saying this from the opposite perspective because somehow this defense got worse than it was last year under, um, what's his name, that got fired? Yes, a, you know I'm talking about. I don't even know who I'm talking about. Give me, I see your face. What's his name? Got fired. Terrell Austin. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's him. <laughs> but Andrew was actually worse than that in the first eight games, and it was crazy. And the things we've heard about them needing to figure it out and how long it took them to figure out basic stuff that it seems most experienced coordinators would come in with Took them eight weeks to figure it out. Even though they did figure it out, those eight weeks were instrumental in those eight losses. Well, I think a lot of that is because of the lack of experience all over this coaching staff. Their assistant, so defensive assistant Gerald Chapman, one year experience. Defensive line coach Nick Eason, five years experience. I think most of that at the college level. Mm-hmm. The only guy on the defensive staff beside Lou Anaruma with any sort of long-term experiences is senior defensive assistant Mark Duffner. And I don't right. know how much of a hand he had in the actual coaching life itself, you know, in the trenches, as it were. Robert and Livingston, we... five years. Tim Lukabu, five years, all at the college level. Durante Jones, four years. So a very inexperienced staff. And a flashback to earlier in the year when we talked about, look at all these guys from different schemes. I wonder if they're going to run more 3-4, more multiple stuff. They did. But I wonder if the different scheme background for every position didn't help them to I get think, the get yeah. the rules down and get the understanding down of what each guy was responsible for. 100%. 100%. I think that's true. So we get into a bunch of player categories for the rest of the show. We've got the LVP to go, the comeback player of the year, the rookie of the year, the defensive player of the year, the offensive player of the year, and the MVP. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, 
day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We come back with the LVP. And Joe, this has many good candidates. So the LVP, the least valuable player on the team, this is my favorite award. You know why? When I worked at McDonald's as a teen, every day we wouldn't give out the MVP, the guy who was, who was the best help in the grill area. We'd give out the LVP to the guy who made the most mistakes. And it was mostly all friends working in there, so it would be a, a blast and pretty fun to give each other this worst award. For me, thinking of it in the upside down in the tank mode, the least valuable player of the year was Joe Mixon. You know why? Because he tried his damnedest to win as many games as possible over that last eight games, that last stretch. He was fantastic. He was so good. I I love the way he ran, the way he made people miss, the way he broke tackles, ran people over, ran around people. Uh, His vision was improved. He looked faster and more agile than normal. Love the way Joe Mixon played in the second half. So he is the least valuable player when it comes to the tank. So the other guy for you then is Carlos Dunlap, who, like Joe Mixon, was graded at the top of his position for the second half of the season. He tried to win games single-handedly on defense over the second half. Carlos Dunlap, you are also one of the least valuable players. Very good season for Carlos Dunlap. Of course, I took the straight angle to the least valuable player, and there are several candidates when you go at it from the way I look at it. You can talk about Preston Brown, who was so bad he was released after they signed him to a three-year deal. You can talk about maybe Tony Cordy Glenn. Cordy Glenn for not playing, but I think right. the... You can talk about Billy Price. He had a really bad year for oh, yeah. a first-round pick. I think Billy Price is a runner-up for me, though. And they could have really used him at left guard. Like, when the, when the mm-hmm. opportunity presented itself, and here he lost center, had he have played and played well and grabbed a hold of left guard... The offense would have not have sputtered as hard as it did that first half. Right. I agree with that. But the runaway answer for me here is Ryan Finley. Mm, right. He was dreadful. He he was not an NFL quarterback. And right. they've got to be sitting there in a lot of ways thinking, man, we traded up and picked this guy at the top of the fourth round. And yep. it's not like he's a young guy that's going to mm. – get a lot better 24 already is he is he 25 yet i mean i i know he he might be yeah Yeah. i don't have his birthday in front of me but he's at least 24 if not 25 you're not going to get a whole lot better than that at this point you're certainly not going to develop arm strength which is the biggest thing lacking for finley so lvp runaway award for me is ryan finley and originally i wrote down billy price for this and then i thought Mm. You know, there's worse. Yeah. And and in some ways, you maybe expect more from Billy Price, so he's more of a letdown. If we had a letdown player of the year, yeah, it, it right. might be Billy Price. Like instead, he could have been comeback player of the year. He had a great chance. That's our next category, Jake. Comeback player of the year. Who you got? There are some interesting choices here because they don't really have one. The most obvious is Tyler Eifert. He mm. comes back. He plays a full season. He's solid, you know. He, yeah. he was good in the second half of the season. Uh, outside of that, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Bobby Bobby Hart was better in the second half of the season than the first half of the season. Does that count? 
Sure. Cordy Glenn came back from the IR. Darius Phillips came back from the IR and played really well. Those are the guys that I would nominate. I don't have a selection. I think Darius Phillips was a good, from your angle, only because he actually did come back in the season. So he had an interception. He had a great, strong preseason, right? Really good. Two of seven uh, catches on targets in, in the preseason and an interception. He gets a pick in the first quarter of the season against Buffalo. Uh, and then he goes out eight weeks, comes back. What's the, He doesn't get to play right away. But when, when he does, he gets two picks. I mean, he picked up right where he was. That, if that's not the definition of comeback within one season, I don't know what else is. But I do like the mention of Tyler Eifert playing all 16 games. Good for him. Uh, I'm going to put for comeback. Cordy Glenn, thinking of it from the upside down. And not only did he come back from wherever he was in the upside down for the first half of the season, uh, he did play actually pretty well. And while that may be contradictory of what I'm trying to do here, missing the first eight weeks uh, was obviously a big factor in why why the team was so bad in that first half. Well, if you're going from the tank angle, then it would be A.J. Green, right? Because he didn't come back. I got him for another category. Okay. So I saved it, right? I, I see where you're going with that one. Other candidates, I think, for comeback player of the year could be John Jerry. Worth mentioning John Jerry here. Came sure. off the yeah. street a year a year of no NFL football, and he played yep. a lot of snaps for the Bengals. Who else came back for the Andre third time? Smith. Andre Smith. Mm-hmm. He always comes back, like herpes. <laughs> Every time. Uh, the other acquisition of the year that we didn't mention, by the way, uh, Fred Johnson. He'll come up later, I think. Rookie of the year. Sure, he could be right. Well, we're on Rookie of the Year, Joe. What do you got? Oh, so if I want to do it's for me, it's easy. It's Ryan Finley. Yeah. If, if he's not starting for those three games and it's Andy Dalton, they win two of those easily. They probably still lose Baltimore, yeah. but the Steelers and the Raiders game, the Bengals do not pick number one if they do not start Ryan Finley for that three-game stretch. It's mm-hmm. instrumental how bad he was. was instrumental in getting Joe Burrow. We're going to look back on it, and we're going to say thank you, Ryan Finley, for getting us Joe Burrow. What about uh... – Jonah Williams, he didn't play at all. Yeah, but I, I don't hate Jonah Williams. No, you don't have to hate the guy. You don't hate Ryan Finley. You don't think he's a very good quarterback. Uh, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but his play was so disastrous. Jonah Williams didn't play. The offensive line was a huge issue. From your angle, I think he's a very strong candidate, although you're... Because it lasted 16 weeks 16 rather weeks. than three games. I mean, yeah, but... Positional pick one. Yeah, I can can only pick one here. Quarterback impacts the game so much more. The Bengals' best rookie this year was either Fred Johnson, who played a total of 146 very mostly good snaps, mostly in the last two games of the year, or the only other guy that really got extended run, not not Drew Sample, he's not one of them, is Jermaine Pratt, who had his best game of the season against Cleveland Mm -hmm. in the season finale, got... Better as the year went on, as you would expect for a young guy transitioning from safety to yep. linebacker, finishing that transition up. Jermaine Pratt has promise he can be a solid linebacker in the future. And if we're looking forward, looking at this crop of rookies, I think that it's Jermaine Pratt. And it's too bad Auden Tate wasn't a rookie because he would have won this award. Yeah, and he could have been comeback or surprise player if there was a category of that. So I haven't player. thought about him. Breakout player, right? And Auden maybe Tate is a breakout wait, player. We let's, just threw right. bonus award. Just did that. Bonus award. <laughs> All right, but I want to mention Jermaine Pratt, though. I have no issue with the way Jermaine Pratt's season went. He developed. I thought he got better. There are, there are no 
glaring issues in his game that I think will limit his upside, right? Like, I didn't think there was coming out of college. I just thought, well, he kind of needs experience. He got experience. He got better as he played. There isn't something where I look at him and say he's stiff or he's unaware in coverage or uh, he's a bad tackler. There's no, like, physical limitation for me when I'm projecting his upside. So I'm very happy with Pratt, his rookie season. I'm excited for where he's going to go. The only criticism I have is a terrible uh, folded arm celebration looking to a fake camera after every tackle for a loss. I'm like, man, I don't know if anyone's taken a picture picture of you or anything. Just just keep moving. I sound like a boomer now. Right? No I sound like you're I sound like your dad. Oh, these guys celebrating after every tackle. No. That's a thing, right? My dad doesn't like Drake Kirkpatrick celebrating, but I don't well, think anybody he, does. Because the guy dropped the pass. You yeah. didn't knock it out of his hands, Drake. Our next category, oh, wait, did I do this? Yeah, I did. Our next category is Defensive Player of the Year. Right. And Joe, you're, you're on the tanking side of the things. So yeah. what do you got? Oh, it's Preston Brown, man. Uh, he was, like the rest of these guys that I've nominated, he was terrible. And not only terrible, but they had to cut him to get this defense in order. And I don't, we don't know that for sure it was Preston Brown, but it is weird that all of a sudden – Everyone played much more cohesive, and things got figured out pretty quickly on the defensive side uh, by releasing him. And I don't know how quickly things have turned down. I mean, I remember watching Preston Brown in Buffalo, and he led the league in tackles, and he was an R8 starter for them. Sure, they wanted more coverage ability, and that's kind of how it happens, especially as the league has transitioned. And then he comes to Cincinnati. He's mostly hurt last year. They give him an extension explicably. I think they had to eat six or $7 million in dead cap space by releasing him this year. And so they, he was that bad that the Bengals did something they don't do. And he, for me, is the defensive player of the year in the tank uh, season. And on the other side of things, for positive contributions to the Cincinnati Bengals, it's easily Carlos Dunlap. The best edge player, according to PFF, in the second half of the season was very, very good so for good. that whole second half and running away with it. Carlos Dunlap, I think second would be one of Geno Atkins, probably Geno Atkins, or maybe Darquez Denard because of his contributions after he came back. Even though it's only eight weeks, he was so good. Instantly, another thing someone asked me, is it, um, we mentioned Darquez Denard as uh, one of the guys defending the edge, why the Bengals weren't getting attacked to the outside like they were so hard in the first half of the season. And Denard is a big reason for that. He's a really good run and, and physical defender on the edge. Uh, but Sam Hubbard also, I think, got much better than that first half. He was getting attacked almost every every time a team wanted to get outside, and Hubbard really improved in that aspect and ended up with better numbers than last year in terms of just raw sacks and pressures and, and defensive stops. So I just want to shout out to Hubbard also. Someone asked me, though, today, is Hubbard, is this his upside? And I said, yeah, I think it is. I think this is the maximum for Hubbard. I think he could still get a little bit better. Just a little bit. I think he bit. could produce more, but I don't know if that means better. Do you know what I mean? I think he could be a little bit better. Okay. I mean, he dropped into coverage 64 times this year. That's a lot. That's that's not using Sam Hubbard to Sam Hubbard's strengths. All the guys that they dropped into coverage from the defensive line were not good in coverage. The best was probably Carlos Dunlap, and he had 39 coverage snaps. They're 4-3 defenders. They're not meant to do that. I, I mean, even if they – yeah. Yeah. The other uh, guys I want to shout out on the defensive side of the ball for positive years that don't necessarily get talked about a whole lot, Josh, Josh Tupo. Yeah. Yep, 100% Josh Tupo. He was great. 
Darius Phillips, we've talked about him, and his 108 snaps this year was probably the team's best coverage corner. And we've talked about the guys on the defensive line. That's probably about it. Jesse Bates also. Uh, For all of the issues we have with Jesse Bates and concerns we had after the first half of the year, second half of the year was right back where he was his rookie year. I uh, I did the PFF grades from last year to this year, and at week eight, he was like a negative 36 is how much his grade fell. Uh, he bounced back with a positive 33 in the second half of the year. So he really got back to where he was yeah. w- that we thought he was really good as a rookie. So shout out to Bates for Bates for doing that in the second half. All right, we have two categories left. The first one is Offensive Player of the Year. And for you, again, many candidates. There are many candidates, and I tried to think of this, uh, you know, in the weird way. I, I almost went with like, oh, well, is it like John Jerry? Because he was kind of bad when he played. Is it Trey, not Trey Hopkins, is it uh, Bobby Hart? And I thought, you know what, you know who it is? The guy who really took the downturn and then stayed for the downturn was even benched. It's Andy Dalton. And he didn't have the season we thought he could in a Zach Taylor offense. When we imagined of uh, an offense that would fully function and, and be good, we thought at the very least, uh, this should help Andy Dalton. The play action should help. The 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 deep and mid crosser should help Andy Dalton. None of that came to fruition, and this is his worst year in his NFL career in many categories and many statistics. Um, it just happened to be his last year, and they don't get the tank without him. So, uh, offensive player of the year this year, Andy Dalton. Yeah, that is a fair argument. I think you could also make a very convincing case for A.J. Green, but I think we're going to hear that in just a moment. On the positive side for the offense, I think it's easily Joe Mixon compared to other positions. He excelled. He was the best running back in the league, according to PFF, for the second half of the year. The only argument against him is he was only on the field for about 64% of their offensive snaps, which for probably your most impactful player is, is not as much as you would like to see compared to Christian McCaffrey or, or uh, Alvin Kamara when he's healthy or these other running backs that are really focal points of the offenses, Derrick Henry, Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. So why, why only 65, 64% of the snaps is a question that I would really be looking at for next season. Well, I mean, it's rhetorical. Right. We know. He, he was better in pass protection this year. Uh, but not better. better than Geo. Let's right? see if that's, that's still true. Hurdle. It, it is, is 75 true. for Geo. Yeah. So right. that is and true. When I look at it, I you know, you just see Mixon come off on third downs. Playing 60-something percent of the snaps, that's like Andrew Billings on defense. That's a nose tackle. We want much more. We want him out there in the, pass, in the passing game. That is a big... I think objective for this team offense and Mixon's development going into 2020. If this offense is going to look, if they extend Mixon and they go into the future, if this offense is going to be run with Joe Burrow as your leader and your your you know your your quarterback, he needs to catch passes. You're going to be a passing team. You're going to win and die, lose, live and die with the passing offense with Burrow, and that means Mixon. If he's going to be involved. It's got to be more than just half the games where they they need him to run it and kill the game. It's going to be, he needs to be in there in games where they got to throw the ball. So by comparison, Christian McCaffrey this year, 1,039 snaps, had a pass blocking grade of 75.8. Last year, only 62.6 was still out there for 90, 966 snaps for the Panthers. And then his rookie year, 805 snaps, pass blocking grade of 42.5. So it didn't hold the Panthers back. They let and- him learn on the field. 
Well, and they let him do other things, so he's not pass blocking a ton. He had 105 pass blocking snaps this year. 10% of his snaps he stayed in to block. That's a great stat. I love that you looked that up because it's perfect because I've always used the comparison between those two. Mixon and McCaffrey coming out were the two best receiving backs, hands down. And it's Leonard Fournette that catches 75 balls this year. Get the fuck out of here. Strong feelings on running back usage from Joe Goodberry. By comparison, Giovanni Bernard, 25% of his snaps in pass protection. And where are you on this list, Joe Mixon? 78 of his snaps, so more than 10% actually for Joe Mixon staying in in pass blocking. And a roughly even split, 254 routes for Mixon, 285 times uh, rusher. Over 300 touches this year. McCaffrey ran nearly 600 routes, had 296 running plays. So nearly double, actually more than double pass routes. Yeah, that's yeah. Where, that's what we should strive to do, especially if you're in the camp of we need to extend Mixon at all costs. He needs to be part of the passing game. That's the only time they have a positive value to an offense. Other offensive players that deserve some recognition, Tyler Boyd in a year yes. when he was one of the only receiving options that other teams were preparing for was still very good for the Cincinnati Bengals. Top 10 in targets and receptions in the league. Yep, good job for Tyler Boyd. And Auden Tate is your offensive breakout player of the year, and that one's not close. He is a human highlight reel, and I look forward to his return in 2020. Right, so the final award is the crown jewel of them all. It's the most valuable player of the year award. Jake, what do you got? This was challenging. Joe Mixon was the best player on offense, but he's a running back. Mm -hmm. The other good players on offense were wide receivers. For for this award to go to somebody on your team that is not a quarterback means you really need a quarterback. It means you're a bad team. Because quarterbacks are just that much valuable. And we've talked about this on the podcast in any other position. But the best mm-hmm. player on this team this year, I, I, for, for most valuable player, though, I, I originally wrote down Carlos Dunlap for this. And now I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if he was truly the most valuable player, despite being the best player on the team. So Joe, No, he was. Got? You think he it, was? In terms of I think wins was. added? I don't know about that because we only added two wins on the entire team, so it's hard to use this to this year because uh, nobody added wins, yeah, right? They, exactly. they They escaped with wins somehow. Uh, so it's really hard to say. It, it's probably who stopped the most losses. It would be a negative, but who had the least negative? And it's probably Carlos Dunlap. He tried to take over so many games, but not from my perspective. I'm trying to finish this out, and it's A.J. Green. Uh, for a multitude of reasons, he's their best player, and they didn't have him for the entire year and the mismanagement of the injury, the mismanagement of the injured reserve and maximizing the roster space and just that cloud hanging over your head the entire season couldn't have helped. Uh, they played great once we really, and maybe this is coincidental again, we were, we were pulling a lot of weird things out of air here for why the team played well. But when they set up, green's not going to play, shut them down. IR the Bengals put up 33 and 35 points final two weeks. They went out and just threw it around kind of, I know I'm reaching here. My point is that, you know, you get that relief. They're always waiting for that best player. When's he going to show up? When's Superman going to show up and bail out this team? And he never showed up this year. And once they realized they had to save themselves, perhaps they played a little better. I think that just has to do with the competition in those last two games of the season. Maybe. Miami being one of the worst teams in the Miami NFL. Miami beat the Patriots. 
which means, of course, the Bengals are better than the Patriots. The right. transitive property always works in uh-huh. sports. Ignore the fact that the Bengals lost to the Patriots in Week 16. That is irrelevant, I guess. MVP. Carlos Dunlap. AJ okay. Green. You, you were unsure. Well, right. I mean, it's the only option, I think, unless it's Tyler Boyd. Might be. Might be. Fourth down play in Miami. Big play. Dove in the end zone. There was your Superman highlight. Clutch player of the year, Tyler Boyd. Sure. There was a lot of fourth downs. I went through and looked because I was looking at uh, people, you know, some of the complaints of the shotgun run on four. So I went and just typed in fourth down on game pass and let them all come up. The Bengals converted a lot of fourth downs and had a lot of big plays. John Ross caught two this year, one for a touchdown. I mean, uh, one long one for a touchdown. I was like, whoa, there's a lot of fourth down conversions here. You can make a highlight reel out of those. They did really good on fourth down. Yeah, John Ross, actually, some of his best plays this year. And maybe we'll have a John Ross episode at some point. But some of his best I'm plays sure. this year came not deep down the field, but on the the deep outs and mm. crossing. I mean, and that's where we talked about using Ross before the years, those crosser routes. And, and they just didn't get to him as many as I wanted to see. And they also, yeah. uh, you know, weren't uh, he wasn't healthy. Right. Of course. Field Yates just tweeted out the win percentage for each team. For the 2010 to 2019 decade, mm. where do you think the Bengals fall on this list? Oh, man. You know, before the first three years, they would have been really good. I mean, the last three years, they would have been pretty good and high. I think they'd probably still end up somewhere in the middle, maybe 12 range. A little lower than 12. You're right. If they did like 2005 to 2015, the Bengals are probably oh, yeah. top 10. They're easily top 10, I'm pretty sure, for that range. Right. Because that's but, a lot of playoff years. But with the 2-14 and 14 year yeah, it's hard. at the end, they dropped down yeah. to 487. And I think they were probably 500 until this year. I think they were. At least 500. Because Marvin ended 500, and I think he was 500 in both halves of his yeah. tenure. So the Bengals 17th, 487, okay. right behind Carolina, right ahead of the Chargers. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Sad that now that decade is a losing decade again. But at least we're all here together on the Lockdown Bengals podcast as 2019 comes to an end. It is 7.50 Eastern Time, 4.50 Pacific Time where I am. We're going to go do some New Year's things, I think. So until 2020, Bengals fans, if you're listening to this on New Year's Day, that really doesn't work. Whatever. Have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 